So I'm excited for today. Like Evan said, if we haven't met yet, my name's Aaliyah Persley. Me and my husband, Matt, um, we're actually able to be a part of the team that helped plant, plant Park Hill. And it has been one of the greatest joys of our life. Um, so many... So many of you guys have been on this journey with us from the beginning, and so many of you have joined throughout, and all of you are a huge blessing. So thank you for that. Um, today we get to continue through 1 Corinthians 12, and um, out here, there's just extra. We've been out here long enough that we know there are so many distractions. There's the airplanes. Sometimes there's roller skaters. There's dogs. Um, so my encouragement is if you could open your Bible, if it's on your phone or whatever, to 1 Corinthians 12 and follow along, it's going to help a lot. So we're going through um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And um, these 20 verses have honestly been some of my favorite for a pretty long time. When we started Park Hill, these were kind of our anthem verses, actually, for Park Hill kids. And it's talking about the body and how every part is this functioning and precious and vital part. And we feel that way about kids, but we feel that way about everything. So we get to kind of dive into that today. Chances are, if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard these verses, but we want to kind of slow down and go a few verses at a time and look for the gold that's in here, because I think it's, there's just some pretty important things for us as a church right now. Paul paints this picture of what a culture shaped by the Holy Spirit will look like, um, and we're going to jump right in. Let's read verses 12 through 14. So just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the spirit to drink. And even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. So Paul starts off with this imagery of a body, and something interesting to notice is that Paul has this incredible way of contextualizing his culture at the time. And this imagery of a body was actually super common to Roman culture. Um, the Roman Empire was actually called the body of empire. And the whole point was that the people were the body and Caesar was the head. And Caesar was supposed to be the most important part. This was emphasized all the time. And the way that he shared his importance was actually through his ruthlessness. He magnified how many people he had killed and how many people he'd enslaved and the importance of who he was. And then when Paul comes in, he talks about us being in the body, but instead of having this head that was ruthless, we have this suffering servant who is Jesus. Because of the gospel, this redefinition of the body and the importance of the body is beautiful. And we get to follow this suffering servant. So Paul communicates that the church is made up of people who are vastly diverse and united by the spirit who indwells us individually. So we're indwelled by the spirit individually, but he also surrounds us as a whole. And that's how we're united. And this was something um, that Paul calls us to. It's to honor all parts equally. And this was even to treat slaves as equals. This was unheard of at the time, but this is the new family of Jesus. Both diversity and unity are intentional characteristics given by God to function in harmony. Unity doesn't happen by accident. It actually takes time and it takes commitment and it takes effort and it takes intentionality. This is what we see. We are called to unity. And while the Spirit gives this as a gift, 
there's this beautiful balance of, of the ownership being on us to commit and to trust that this is what the Spirit has for us. Let's go on to verses 15 through 20. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all part, where would the body be? And as it is, there are many parts, but one body. Paul is so good at stating and restating his point. So we understand, we're starting to get a picture that every part is vital. Paul addresses those who don't feel important and they don't feel connected and they don't see themselves as someone deeply valuable and needed for the function of the body. God has a way of speaking this intimate soul level value in us while at the same time calling us to act and do more. My grandpa was probably one of the coolest guys I've ever met. Um, like Scotch and aviators, cool, just to give you a picture. Um, he was injured in World War II, actually, and as a result, he lost his leg from above the knee, and um, he just figured out how to do life. He did sports, he would swim, and he would ski. He was actually one of the first amputee skiers that figured out how to do uh, downhill skiing and even some freestyle. And out of that, he actually became one of the first, like him and three friends, became the first amputee ski instructors in the world. Before this, if you wanted to learn how to ski and you were disabled, there was no space for you. It was just a no. So he had this crazy opportunity um, to teach kids and older people how to do things they never thought were possible. But when I was young, I would go to his house and we would hang out. And at some point during the day, he would always say, hey, I need you to be my legs, to go get something quickly or go up a ladder or whatever. Um, and when I got older, he asked me to do that. He's like, hey, I need you to be my legs, go get that. And we got to having a conversation and I was able to go, I've never even really thought about it, it's just who you are, but what is it like to be an amputee? And he said, I don't actually remember what it's like to have two legs, it doesn't bother me at all. But what, the thing that bothers me is the wear and tear it's put on my other leg and hip. It's hard to have no option but to slow down and to give up things that I love. See, his body was compensating for something it was missing. And as a result, it led to suffering that caused him to not be able to function at full capacity. To fully thrive, we need every part of the body. God's designed each part for a purpose, and this isn't just for personal fulfillment, but this is for the common good and the flourishing of the whole. We have to keep coming back and asking ourselves, who's missing at the table? We may be compensating without parts of the body. Um, in our best efforts, the church cannot fully flourish while some are missing at the table. So we have to keep coming back to this question, who's missing at the table? Is it a gender? Is it a race? Is it people with disabilities? Is it children? I mean, this could go on and on. Ask the Holy Spirit, who, who's missing at my table? And then just start praying for those people as he brings them to mind. Romans 12 says, 
Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of you has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. You guys, we live in a hyper-individualized culture where autonomy is king, and it's honestly wreaking havoc on our souls. Both COVID and our digital culture, they're working overtime to keep us isolated. And when we're isolated, we're tempted to feel like we're not needed. Um, but what's the first thing that went wrong with creation? It's kind of hard to almost pinpoint because it goes by really quickly, but it's not good for humans to be alone. That was the first thing that needed to be fixed in the story of God. So listen, you don't need to feel um, that who you are is a vital part of the body. Consider the very specific word in these verses. You're indispensable. God meant to make you with the gifts that you have and then bring you into a community where the spirit-empowered gifts are essential to others. You are needed. The unique diversity that you bring is needed. It's vital to the functioning of the body. And, and honestly, if you're not sure what you gifts, your gifts are, like this week when I was talking about these texts with different friends, I kept hearing over and over again, I'm probably like the middle toe. Like, I guess it's cool, but like, who needs it? But there's two things I wanna challenge you to do because I think a lot of people feel that way. Like, oh, I don't know, like I'm here, but I don't know that I'm a big deal. And that's what this is getting at. It's calling you out to say, no, you are vital. So there's two ways you can do it. One, jump in wherever, serve. It doesn't matter where, honestly, like serve here, we have opportunities. And I know this isn't a plug just because we need more people, but we do, so Connect Desk is right over there. But when you're serving and you're actually doing something with other people and you get to know people, this is where you start to go, oh my gosh, I'm good at this. I'm good at encouraging people or I'm good at organizing. I'm good. I mean, the list is just like insanely long. But I think when you're not doing anything, it's hard to see like what gifts God has given you. He wants you to use them. And honestly, here it's where you see gifts in other people. So the number one thing is see your own gifts. But the number two is when you serve alongside other people, you can be the one who goes, oh, hey, you're good at encouraging. This is a gift that you have. God created us to be cultivators of the earth, and this is in partnership with him. Tim Keller wrote an incredible book uh, called Every Good Endeavor. And it's connecting how our occupations and our hobbies and community service, and they all point to God's goodness, and they put his goodness on display in the world. Here's what he has to say. We're continuing God's work of forming, filling, and subduing. Whenever we bring order out of chaos, whenever we draw out creative potential, whenever we elaborate and unfold creation beyond where it was when we found it, we are following God's pattern of creative cultural development. Stewarding your work or your family or even a garden, all these things point to God's goodness. We have to see. It might be in your work that God's just calling you to have a different perspective, not to punch the clock, but to go in and say, I'm a vital part of this and I can speak encouragement and life and do God's work of cultivating the earth in the position I have right now.
The number, number two way that we see this happening, finding your gifts, is in community. This is kind of always something that we come back to because on Sunday, this is incredible. I wish I knew every single one of you, but that's impossible. I can't tell you what your gifts are. But in community, as you get to know people and you work through conversations and you pray together, you're going to hear from other people what your gifts are and you're going to be able to tell them also. These are beautiful things. We're going to spend a little bit of time over the coming weeks, um, especially in community, talking about the difference between talents and gifts and how both of those things are beautiful and they're given from God. And most importantly, we'll spend time praying over one another the truths that the Spirit is bringing up about who he's created you to be. So be prepared in your heart, kind of to hear how the Spirit wants to animate you, specifically to bring God's kingdom into the world. Remember from a few weeks ago, the gift is the person of the Holy Spirit. That's kind of number one, like just being connected to the Holy Spirit is the gift and then out of that, his partnering with us through what we actually enjoy is like the second huge gift. So ask the Holy Spirit. Luke eleven thirteen says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So ask him. It's clear. He is like ready. All right, let's do verses 21 and 26. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special garment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Nothing illuminates scripture better than scripture. Philippians 2, 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. In the new family of Jesus, we don't have the right to say, I don't need you. So right now, we live in a culture of influencers with big platforms. And we've been kind of shaped just naturally as this is what we're being kind of fed by throughout the day, that this is leadership. And it's something that we have started to pattern our lives after. You guys, we cannot find contentment. We cannot find encouragement from someone else's highlight reel. Sometimes, sometimes there are good things. There are great Instagram accounts to follow. There are great people on Twitter to follow. But this is not discipleship and this is not leadership. Seek out those whose gifts are precious and are not on display. It's here that you're going to find a serious treasure. There's people in my life um, whose gifts look a lot different than mine. And week in and week out, they have this kind of like laser beam vision for the things of God. 
And it's people who are so connected and they're obedient to the Holy Spirit. And they can look at someone in a crowd, honestly, and they can have discernment to pray specific prayers or speak encouragement over that person. And most of the time they do it quietly and they do it faithfully. And it's easy to miss. But if you pay attention, everything they touch seems to flourish because they're gracious and they are generous with the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given them. We know from history that it's in these kinds of people that revival begins. Small obedience always leads to great transformation. Honor those who are not on display. Look for them. Encourage them. Let them know that they're seen. The answer really is in Philippians. We look at the interests of others and we consider them as better than us. These people are looking out and they're going, that person needs prayer. I hear the Holy Spirit. I'm super nervous to go up to them and speak this over them. It takes a lot of guts. It's not a super glorified thing to do, but this is it. They're considering others as better than themselves. And it's for the common good of other. I have to take inventory also. Here's one thing. As we're encouraging other people and we're, we are wanting to speak truth over who they are, I need to take inventory of my soul and I need to invite the Holy Spirit into where my value lies. Um, we need to guard against speaking overs, over others what we think that they should do. We should listen. We should go, oh my gosh, I'm seeing this gift in them. First, let me pause. Let me ask the Holy Spirit, is this in line with you? Is this encouraging or is this going to place a burden on them that's not for them? So take it to the Holy Spirit. And if he confirms it in you, go and just encourage them. It doesn't have to be big, just a couple of words. Think back to a moment when you realize that you were good at something. Maybe it's like sports or art or music or whatever. When you realize like, hey, I'm good at this. I want to do this. And that's a pretty sweet moment. But how much more sweet is it when someone else told you like, hey, you're really good at this? It's, it's like those things that actually set us on a trajectory to pursue jobs or, to, or big things in our life. See others as better than yourself. Oh, what a relief that we can't say, I don't need you. Can you imagine the burden of having every single gift? Like, I'm wise, and I'm discerning, and I have the gift of tongues. It's just like, I would, you know, any of us would be so busy and stressed out all the time. A great moment of discipleship for me this past year um, was actually when our mentor, Gary Brashear, was telling us about the gifts he doesn't have. He's like, I don't have this, and I don't have this. I have to go and find those people in every scenario that I'm in. I have to go and find those people and say, hey, you need to be this for me. What a beautiful picture. God created us so that we can't function without each other. This is where finding others' gifts becomes just as important as knowing our own. This is practically unity and diversity. All right, verses 28 through 31. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. 
These are specific positions that God has placed in the church. At first glance, it almost seems like a lineup from greatest to least. Um, But let's not forget the verses that we just read. All are vital to the body, apostle, prophet, teacher, etc. Don't think importance, but think birth order. So if you have kids or if you are a kid, which is everyone, if you were a kid, um, there is not a order of importance depending on your birth order. All in the family are valuable and precious and serve a different purpose. But just, just like parents and kids, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit breathed first into the apostles to create the church and then Christian doctrine, the scripture and creeds, and then prophets and teachers push along the teaching to the family of Jesus. And then miracles and gifts follow true Christianity through history. And this is about our family tree. This is our birth order. If we're going to be a functional and unified family, we have to remember where we come from. That's the gospel. We are imperfect people in need of a savior. And this is our, this is our family tree. As we wrap up, if you're like scary aware and we're paying great attention, I'll be so impressed. But you may have noticed we actually skipped verse 27 and here's what it says. Now you're the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. You remember back in the beginning when we talked about Caesar um, being the head, and, and this might be the most important part of the passage. Not that we just come away feeling challenged to be our best selves, um, but that we understand that the reason that we're indispensable isn't because of what we bring to the table. Those are pluses. Those are beautiful benefits. That's God actually entrusting us to help him and partner with him to cultivate his earth. It's amazing. But the reason we're indispensable is because of who we are connected to. We are connected to Jesus. And as complete opposite of Caesar who abused people with his power, Jesus came and he gave up his power. He gave us himself and it led to death on a cross where he willingly took our sin and shame. We're indispensable because our value comes from somewhere outside of ourselves. We're indispensable because Christ is our head. The one with the access to all power gave it up so that we could be reconciled to our good Father. These things, these gifts, these talents, these are all secondary. Our first goal is to be obedient, connected, and in relationship with our good Father. Out of that flows these gifts. Jesus died to make us part of his body. He is where our value lies. This is what Colossians says. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Jesus is the reason that we are indispensable. We find our value in him. These final verses, I want us to deeply consider what it means to be the church through the lens of 1 Corinthians 12, verses 25 through 26. There should be no division in the body, 
but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Um, a year ago, my mom was diagnosed with cancer, and it didn't look good. It was spreading really fast. Um, so we just started praying for a miracle, whether that was through medicine or miraculously, you know, it didn't matter. And um, just praying through this year, there's been a lot of ups and downs. And this week, when the doctors went in to um, take out the mass, they couldn't find it. There's nothing there. Yeah. So... We are all just praising Jesus this week. You can't understand. You know, we've had relatives who have died from cancer, but we just, we're just praising Jesus because when the body rejoices, we rejoice together. In the same way, when one part of the body is suffering, our whole body reacts. Even physically, adrenaline and blood cells go to that spot. Our whole body kicks into gear and wants to heal that spot and come around it. It's how God created us. And the body is such a good example for the church, the church body. When one part is suffering, all parts come around it and they use their gifts to just do everything they can to heal that spot. This is the example we're given. We rejoice with one another and we suffer with one another and both are actually beautiful. Jesus enters our suffering with us. He enters our joy with us. I think oftentimes we want God to airlift us out when we're praying. We want him to airlift us out of our problems or our suffering or our hurt or our sickness. But so often he actually enters in with us and he has a gift. He's not a God who's like, I'm doing great. I guess I'll pull you out of that. He's right there with us in the middle of it. And he says, I'm not too good to be dirty with you. I already created a way in my son. We're called to do the same. We rejoice together. We suffer together. Ephesians 1 talks about how Jesus' death and resurrection, what it accomplished. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. With Jesus, we are the full body. The church are the people that we are becoming like Jesus with. We follow his example of being a suffering servant and rejoicing and lamenting and repenting and everything in between. We take communion together each week so that our minds would be oriented around his death and resurrection, that he entered in the most intense suffering so that we could rejoice. We are indispensable because of who we are connected to. I just want to close with Romans 12, 9. It says, love must be sincere, hate what's evil, cling to what's good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, be patient in affliction, be faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, and practice hospitality. Father, would you make us a people who know how to rejoice and how to suffer with one another? Would you make us the suffering servants and the joyful servants that you are? Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit to animate us. Would you animate us in the gifts and the talents that you've given us? But first of all, would you animate us to be connected to you above everything else? 
Lord, we're so thankful for who you are, that you are the example, that you enter into all things with us, and we are not alone. Help us to do that for one another. Amen.